Welcome back to another episode of Happyish Ever After. This is the special book of the month, and today I'm going to be talking with Becky Upchurch, who has come back again to talk about Abby Wambach's book, Wolfpack. Becky, I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. I When we first talked in the first episode we did about boundaries, and we talked about doing this book. I was so excited. So when we reconnected and we were like, let's get it on the calendar. I was like, yes. And of course I had to go back through because, you know, I first read the book. It feels like forever ago and just kind of, you know, refresh my mind and think about things that I wanted to highlight. And then I just remembered again, how much I just love Abby and how great I feel like this is like a little tiny book that's packed with so much good stuff. So thank you for having me back. Oh my gosh. First, If people haven't listened to the episode with Becky on boundaries, it's a classic. It's one that still people seem to always be looking for. And it's a great episode. And I wanted to do this book. And then when I reread it, because I've read it several times, but I haven't read it for about a year. And when I dug it out and reread it again, and it's a small book, so you can easily, it's a book that you can finish up in the weekend because it's nice and short. And I was like, oh my God, this is such a good book. So for anybody who might be listening who hasn't read the book, it's based on Abby Wambach's viral 2018 commencement speech to the Barnard College graduates. And here's what it says on the book sleeve. Abby Wambach became a champion. And for anybody who doesn't know who she is, she became a champion because of her incredible talent as a soccer player. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She holds the world record for international goals for both female and male soccer players. And that is an amazing accomplishment. But now she's really public about the fact that she no longer holds the record because she was surpassed by the Canadian soccer player, Christine Sinclair. Now, when people say that she corrects them and she's like, to me, that's living the values that she talks about, about like, yep, there was a time that I held that, but now it's Christine Sinclair. And I just love that. So she became an icon because of her remarkable wisdom as a leader. As the co-captain of the 2015 Women's World Cup Championship team, Abby created a culture not just of excellence, but of honor, commitment, resilience, and sisterhood. She helped transform a group of individual women into one of the most successful, powerful, and united wolf packs of all time. And with Wolfpack, Abby's message to each woman is, you were never Little Red Riding Hood. You were always the wolf. We must venture off the path and blaze a new way together. And that's what she does. She talks about the old rules. And when you go through the book, you recognize, oh, like these are the old rules. And then she tells you what the new rules are and how they can bring you success. So Becky, do you have a particular reason why you're like, oh my God, I love this book? Because you've already said you love the book. (laughs) I do. Um, So there are so many things I like about it. I like that it's a short easy read. Um, I like the structure of the book. Um, I tend to, I also write um, in addition to being a coach. And when I write, I tend to write in like smaller snippets. So that resonates with me as a reader. Um, But then in terms of the content, um, there's just so much that she says in such beautiful, simple ways. But to me, the heart of it is just the idea that If I had read this book when I was a 15 year old girl, you know, I can't help but think, how would my life have been different? And the work that I do in the world with women, you know, one of the reasons that I'm drawn to coaching women is I always say, you know, 
women, if they knew how powerful they were, and if they came together, they could do anything. They could change the world in any way they wanted to. And I feel like this book speaks to that. It speaks to the power of women, not just individually, but as a collective. And it also speaks to the fact that sometimes it's the things that we were taught about how we should be that are the very things that get in the way of who we are actually supposed to be. And so I love that she kind of calls that out and says like, hey, I know you were taught X, Y, Z, but actually you don't have to play by those rules. You can do it your way. You can find a new path forward um, and kind of makes that acceptable and gives people permission. Because I feel like a lot of times women are waiting for permission um, to live the lives that they want to live. And so I feel like Abby kind of has come out and been like, here's your permission slip. I wrote a book. Um, and I just love that. And I feel like that, you know, I've listened to her on, on their podcast. And I think that's just the spirit of who she is, that she's constantly, you know, supporting that idea of just be true to yourself and live as who you are. Um, and so I think anybody reading this book will hopefully carry that message. Oh my gosh. As a health coach, I work primarily with women as well. One thing that I loved about Abby is she says that she wrote this book from a woman's perspective because she identifies as a woman, but she believes it could be for so much more. And I think that as women, we're used to hearing the male perspective. We're used to reading books from the male perspective. And I think that because we live in a patriarchy, that the male perspective, it would actually be hard from a male perspective to say some of the things that Abby says. So this is before the book even starts. She says, in this book, I use words like women, men, girls, and boys. These are not my favorite words, as I've always understood gender, even my own, to be on a wide, beautiful spectrum. My dream is that people of every gender, as well as people beyond or between gender, will find themselves in these pages. I feel like she is a voice that can represent minorities, you know, people who have felt that they had to follow certain rules because of the power structure that they've been like, no, no, in order to move forward, I have to follow these types of rules. And I don't know that it could be written from a male perspective. There's something about, even though she has a lot of privilege as a white woman, and she's had a lot of power and recognition, she's trying to also share that power by giving it to others. And I think that's a, that's beautiful. Yes. And I think the other thing that I really appreciate is like you said, she does have privilege that other people don't necessarily have. And I think she's somebody who acknowledges that um, and kind of highlights the fact that, you know, because of that, she can, you know, write books that help other people and help kind of create that path. And I feel like that's also the spirit of what, you know, she talks about is I don't want to jump too far ahead in the book, but, you know, she does talk at one point about just the idea of, you know, making sure that you are bringing other people along on the journey um, that, you know, when you're successful, it opens the doors for other people to be successful and that that's something to embrace. Whereas I feel like a lot of us grew up in a, a time and in a, you know, society where we were taught that we were all in competition. Um, and I love how she really dispels that because I think often that is something that holds women back is instead of coming together to see how can we lift each other up, 
we think of each other as, oh, if this person gets an opportunity, that's one less opportunity for me. So I feel like the fact that she kind of blows that up and says, nope, that's actually wrong. And that's going to keep you small. Yeah. She says it's not pie. It's not with yeah. if one person yeah. gets a piece of pie that's bigger than your piece is smaller. It's and, and she talks about that, you know, we've been indoctrinated in this scarcity mindset. Yes. And she neutralizes it because she doesn't say it's your fault. You know, this is the way that the world has been functioning and has convinced you to believe. And it's actually just not true. There's so many good points. Maybe what we should do is sort of start at the beginning. And there's now I'm trying to remember, are there eight rules or nine rules? And we can just go through it that way. There are eight rules. Perfect. I feel like you could just sit here and read the book aloud and have a free <laughs> audiobook for everybody, but uh, we'll make it shorter. <laughs> but it's so short, yes. it wouldn't actually take that much time. She talks first about welcome to the wolf pack, which is before she starts her rules. And I love it because when she was invited to the to give the Bernard commencement speech and they're like, we love everything that you're doing and beyond being a soccer player, come and talk to us about all this other amazing stuff that you're doing. And by the way, here's a list of superstars that have previously done the commencement. Like, oh my God, can you imagine? Not that anybody's saying, hey, you know what? We had Barack Obama last year and we liked Tatiana Robertson. So, you know, it's not a high <laughs> risk for me being invited to something like this, but I still felt for her because I think any of us would be, oh my gosh. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned just that introductory section because one of the, the quotes that I loved from the book that I had written down was from that introduction. And she says, I'm less interested in banging down the door of some man who doesn't want me there. I'm more about building my own house. Yeah. And to me, that was just like to read that in the introduction and be like, okay, I, I'm on board with where we're going here. It's not about asking for access to what has been set up by people before us or people that have more power than us. It's about, no, I'm going to create my own thing. Yeah. And I'm allowed to do that. And I don't have to ask permission to do that. And I'm like, yes, girl. <laughs> I, yeah, I totally loved that. And then right after that, she said, women have got to stop following those old rules because they only exist to maintain the status quo. Yes. And the piece I wrote down from that was old ways of thinking will never help us build a new world. And as a mindset coach, I'm like, you are speaking my language because it's like, you know, it's the same thing with anything, our mindset. If I'm carrying around mindsets that aren't serving me, if I keep carrying those around, I'm keep going to keep getting results that don't serve me. So we have to be willing to see things differently, to think differently, um, and to step into new ways of not just doing, but also being. Yeah. And I think there's an Einstein quote, what got you here won't get you there. That's it. Ooh, Wellness like journey, mindset coach, everything. If you keep doing things that you have always done and you expect a different outcome, it's not coming. Yeah. <laughs> right? 100%. Yeah. And there's also a lovely story about how she got onto sort of the theme of the wolf when she understood she'd seen it. And I love this too, because this is how my brain works, making connections, patterns. And, you know, she, she saw 
a, a TED talk about the reintroduction of the wolves of Yellowstone National Park and how the wolves, when they were concerned because they'd been gone for decades and decades, but actually once the wolves, a natural predator, became part of the ecosystem again, the ecosystem was restored. Mm-hmm. And she equates that to the fear of change and the fear of women having more power. All of these different things are necessary for us to move forward. I know in Canada, there've been a lot of changes that are really necessary for us to continue to function as a country and as a community. And all of these changes that are being brought from people from different places, from voices that weren't historically heard as much are not only making the system, um, they're not only just not damaging the system, they're making the system better. Yeah. And I love that. And then she tells us how to make the system better in eight simple steps. Exactly. And that that's what I love. I love a, like, here's what you're going to do. Let's keep it simple because, uh, you know, that's how change happens. It's the small things that have big impact. In my background, I remember there were two paths. I could continue the academic route and stay back and always have ad- advice and criticism of the structure. Or I could dig into the system and become part of it and try and change from within. And I decided to join the system and try and dig in and change from within. And it's been tough. And there have been times when I'm like, why did I choose this? (laughs) But here's the thing. And this is what I loved about this book is that I found that my life in academia was so much about these sort of these thoughts that I didn't always feel like they had a practical application or that anybody had ground truth them. And this book is so deceivingly simple, but she does give a blueprint and she starts off in chapter one just to set the groundwork and say, you were always the wolf. And the old rule that she identifies here is stay on the path. And the new rule is create your own path. And then that's when she uses the analogy of Little Red Riding Hood. Did you have a favorite part for this one, for this chapter? Yes, I think for me, it's the the very last paragraph of this chapter. And she says, there's a wolf inside of every woman. Her wolf is who she was made to be before the world told her who to be. Her wolf is her talent her power, her dreams, her voice, her curiosity, her courage, her dignity, her choices, her truest identity. And to me, that's just, that's just everything (laughs) that, you know, and that we're taught like here, follow this pathway. This is what is going to keep you safe. This is what's going to, you know, get you success. And then many of us follow that path and we still don't feel safe and we maybe don't see the success or we get the success and don't feel the way we think we're going to feel because we're neglecting things like our voice, our talent, our courage, our choice. Um, And so to really say, these are the things that we want to be true to. Um, Again, I think that's just, that's a powerful message to everyone. But I think about, you know, women and girls who are maybe still being socialized that they should do certain things and can hopefully learn a little earlier than some of us did that, no, you you don't have to follow the path of Little Red Riding. For some, the Gen Z is starting to make that shift 
I think more so, mm-hmm. but that's, I loved it. I'd underlined the exact same paragraph and then put a big asterisk about it because it's the perfect ending. These are such short chapters, but what she says is, you know, we're told all the time in the stories, those bedtime stories that we're Little Red Riding Hood. You need to like mm-hmm. keep small, stay in the light, stick to the path, stay safe, stay <laughs> safe try and make yourself small, cover yourself up and off you go. But she's like, no, you were never Little Red Riding Hood. You were always the wolf who wandered the woods, who could do all the things. You are who you are. You're not this figure within this, this archetype within a story. And I just thought that is beautiful. And she doesn't go on for 20 pages about it. It's just short. It's just a few short pages. What was Red Riding Hood taught? Don't be curious. Don't say too much. Don't expect more. Like just, just do this one thing. And it's so crisp. I feel like it just sets the foundation for anybody reading the book to be able to say, okay, my first bit is opening my mind to the fact that I'm not just some archetype in a story. I am more than that. And the things that make me me, this is a book that if a 15 year old reads that at 20, they're going to read it differently at 25, they're going to read it again and read it differently at 30. They're like anybody who reads it, their evolution of where they're at is always going to make it relevant because we don't notice that we're stuck in a particular way of living or expectations until we get there. Yeah. Remember being 15 and thinking like 20 year olds were like super old and that they right. were wise. Right? It's like, oh, people in their 40s know everything. And then you hit your 40s and you're like, oh, I still know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so her call at the also the structure of the book is she has these short, concise chapters that tell a story, then give you some wisdom and then she does her call to the wolf pack, which is like this little mini summary. So the mini summary for chapter one was wear what you want, love who you love, become what you imagine, create what you need. You were never Little Red Riding Hood. You were always the wolf. And I love how she ends each chapter with something. Yeah. It's like those practical takeaways. It was. But I feel like the whole book is a practical takeaway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say that a hundred times, I know. (laughs) Chapter two. This is actually the one that I recognize reading a year later, that this is the chapter that has actually, and surprisingly in reflection, been the chapter that I have used the most. Did you want to walk us through the old rule and the new rule for chapter two? Sure. Uh, The old rule is be grateful for what you have. And the new rule is be grateful for what you have and demand what you deserve. Um, And I think that I'm a big, big, big believer in gratitude. And so I love that, you know, this is not an either or. It's like, yes, be grateful. We still want to absolutely make sure we do that. But we don't want to get so caught up in gratitude that we stop there, that we say, well, I should just be grateful for what I have. And I find myself doing this sometimes when I'm struggling and I'll talk to a friend and I'll say, but you know, I have so much to be grateful for, or I have so much privilege, or I have so many opportunities that other people don't have. And it's like, but you can still want more or you can still struggle. Um, So just validating that we can be grateful and also be ambitious and also not just want more, but really go after it and not feel guilty for doing so. A hundred percent. 
the example that she gave was so powerful. And that's when she was at the SBs, which is the ESPN. Oh, I can't think of like we have um, we have TSN in Canada, ESPN, I can't remember, but it's a sports network thing. And so she was getting an award and on the ESPYs and she was getting awarded at the same time as two other retiring champions. And that was the NBA's Kobe Bryant and the NFL's Peyton Manning. And Mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake was the host. And Abby Wambach was getting her ESPY at the same time. So it was the three of them being honored. And they're showing like them at the peak of their career and big moments and Abby's head getting stapled during a game so that she could continue <laughs> playing and and she's so excited and they are all like immense leaders in their area and they're all up there and she's feeling so good about it and she's felt so good about her career and what she's done and then as she's leaving the stage she has this moment where she realizes, oh, we're actually going into three different retirements, but actually it's two different retirements. And she says like, they deserve the money that they earn and there's no criticism or anything negative towards Kobe and Peyton. They deserve what they had and they were walking into lovely retirements, but she was actually going to be not going into a lovely retirement. She was going to be struggling to pay her mortgage and she was going to have to hustle and she was going to have to hustle hard. And she got back to her hotel room and she realized, oh, all these years she's thought it hasn't impacted me as much because I've had all of these opportunities and she'd been grateful for every single opportunity, but she'd always thought I'm going to help others who haven't had the opportunities of me, but she hadn't thought, but I need to actually be asking more for me because she allowed her gratitude to step over and I went, whoa. And I think about like pay negotiations, but we're giving you an X percentage. And I'm like, for the first time in my life in the, since I read this book initially, I was, and I'm actually delivering this beyond. And I'm not just saying, oh, thanks so much. And I actually have used the words and while I am incredibly grateful, I know I deserve more. I didn't even have the words for that. I didn't have the words for that. I didn't have the awareness that I could. This book has not only paid for itself because it wasn't that expensive, <laughs> but I just, I don't even go in with the negotiation of, oh, you know, because the negotiation's often inside. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I, I deserve this. Yeah, I've earned it. And A, good for you, because that's amazing. And a lot of people are not in that space. Um, But I think you're exactly right to know that not only do we not have to, you know, accept just what's being offered, that we can say, I am grateful and I am worth more. Um, And the part that really struck me in this chapter, and again, it was kind of toward the end, but it, it hit me really hard, was when she says, what keeps the pay gap in existence is not just the entitlement and complicity of men. It's the gratitude of women. Yeah. Our gratitude is how power uses tokenism of a few women to keep the rest of us in line. Yep. And I'll be honest, that hit me hard because I think, you know, we like to think as women, we're all part of a sisterhood But sometimes we don't think about how our willingness to just accept what is and be grateful 
harms not just us, but the other people around us, the people who will come after us. And I love that she speaks to that, that she was frustrated with herself, that she was coming into retirement in a different place than these other successful athletes who happen to be male, but that she also thought about what does that mean for those that were left behind that weren't yet retired and should she have fought harder for them? So again, I feel like that spirit of how do I do these things for myself but also how do I think about the collective? How do I think about the pack and make sure that I'm taking care of me and I'm taking care of us? Yeah. Thinking I've got to get everybody to my level of success also. It's like, no, actually I need them to surpass because my level of success isn't enough to keep me going. And I've dedicated my life to this. And just in case we have any listeners that are like, oh, but don't women make a lot less because well, they don't have as much revenues. I love that she snuck this little bit in. And she's like, in 2015, the US national team won the World Cup championship and the national, the women's national team turned a profit of 6.6 million, whereas the men's national team earned a profit of just under two. So they had more than three times the profit. So I just, because a lot of the times I see posts that will say things like, oh, but the women shouldn't earn as much because there's not as much revenue. People aren't as interested. And it's like, oh, actually not true. And I underline that same bit at the end as well. So her call to the wolf pack is be grateful, but do not just be grateful, be grateful and brave because it does take a lot of bravery. How many times do we go and we want a pay increase and it starts with, and I know that the quarterly earnings haven't been as high and I know that blah, blah, blah. And you're just giving them their own reason to not give you the pay increase. Instead, grateful that in tough economic times, we still have a job and I'm still carrying the weight of the other staff who retired or left during COVID or whatever. And this is what I'm worth. So she's be grateful and brave. I love that because it acknowledges that it can be hard. Be grateful and ambitious because an ambitious woman is not any different than an ambitious man. And there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Be grateful and righteous. Be grateful and persistent. Be grateful and loud. Be grateful for what you have and demand what you deserve. When's the last time you demanded what you deserve? I don't think I'm at the demand stage yet, but I'm grateful in asking. This is stage one. (laughs) I'm pretty sassy. So I I don't know that I would call it demanding. I would just say, you know, I'm just stating. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Always room for growth. Got to (laughs) reframe. Lead from the bench is chapter three. Yes. And the old rule. Wait for permission to lead. No, thank you. (laughs) The new rule, which I like much better, is lead now from wherever you are. And this I love because, again, you know, I I work with and talk with and, and connect with a lot of women. And a lot of times it's I want to do X, Y, or Z. And I can do that when I or once I, you know, it's I can't do this because of this. I don't have this experience. You know, it's like that. I don't know the actual statistic, but it's like roughly, you know, they talk about like if there's a job posting that a woman will look at it and she'll have eight or nine of the qualifications and not apply because she doesn't have all 10. A man will have five or six and he'll apply and get the job. Um, And that's what I think of when I look at this, that you lead now from wherever you are, you know, assuming that where I am now, I have something to offer. I don't have to wait 
until I'm primed and in the exact right spot. I actually thought of that same example. <laughs> and I've witnessed it too. Of course. we. I've witnessed it in hiring competitions where women will be like uncertain about themselves during the interview and they're knocking it out of the park. And a guy will come along and I'm like, you thought that you could do this? But they shoot their <laughs> shot. They shoot their shot. And hey, maybe if they weren't against such a tough field, they might have got a chance too. But we do merit-based hiring, so that doesn't happen <laughs> Like if you, if you don't actually have the skills. But I was thinking of exactly that because I've also witnessed that. And because I've had conversations with my own staff about being a leader isn't a job title. And so you can be like we think in a corporate hierarchy, you can be a leader from any position. You don't have to supervise staff or have the job title. You can be a leader on a team regardless of what your classification is, regardless of what your job title is, regardless of your pay. The example that Abby gives was that she wasn't in the starting lineup. And so she was a part of leading the team and helping the team from the bench. And I think that the old hierarchical model of the person at the top makes all the decisions and they are the only leader. I think a lot of that is what's perpetuated this notion where Women think, well, I'm not seeing myself at the top, first of all, and my leadership style is different from the person at the top. So I must not be a leader because there's only one type. So I'd also like expand this, not just leading from somewhere else, but in different ways. She says, leadership is taking care of yourself and empowering others to do the same. Leadership is not a position to earn. It's an inherent power to claim. Leadership is the blood that runs through your veins. It's born in you. It's not the privilege of a few. It's the right and responsibility of all. So her call to the wolf pack is, if you have a voice, you have influence to spread. If you have relationships, you have hearts to guide. If you know young people, you have futures to mold. If you have privilege, you have power to share which is exactly what we were talking about at the beginning. If you have money, you have support to give. If you have a ballot, you have policy to shape. If you have pain, you have empathy to offer. If you have freedom, you have others to fight for. And if you are alive, you are a leader. I think a lot of people don't see themselves as leader, but she's like, yeah, you are. Mm -hmm. And anyone can lead no matter what their responsibilities, you know, their title, whatever it is, there's always something to be offered. Even for yourself, you are the captain of your own ship. I say this all the time. You can't control the weather. You can't control the currents. You can't control the size of the waves, but you control how you respond. And you are the captain. You lead it. No one else leads your life. No one else should. So here we are at the halfway point of the book with number four, make failure your fuel. Yes. So the old rule, failure means you're out of the game. The new rule, failure means you're finally in the game. So for me, when I was looking at this, I was thinking about 
just the reminder of the power of failure. And so many of us don't put ourselves out there because we're like, well, what if I fail? Well, my thing is, if you fail, you always learn something, right? Um, And I know we've all heard this, but I love the way she just talks about it as failure isn't something to feel ashamed by. It's something that we can be fueled by. And to really think of in those moments of failure, how do I turn this into a tool to propel me forward? Yeah. She says, when we live afraid to fail, we don't take risks. We don't bring our entire selves to the table. So we end up failing before we even begin because the fear of failure holds us back, which makes it really hard to be successful because we're holding back. So it's like a vicious cycle. And she has another one where she says, the team never denies its failure. She gives an example about when Uh, Team USA had been defeated by the Norwegians and how they had a picture up in their locker. And they used that image of their last big loss to fuel them to move them forward. And this was a nuance that really struck me that I hadn't noticed the last time I read it. So she says, the team never denies its last failure. We don't accept it as proof that we aren't worthy of playing at the highest level. Instead, we insist upon remembering because we know that the lessons of yesterday's loss become the fuel for tomorrow's win. But this idea of we don't accept it as proof that we aren't worthy of playing at the highest level. I think that for many of us, when we are not successful, we actually see that as proof that we were never going to be successful. Mm. And so it stops us in our tracks because we're like, see, I tried and it didn't work out. And so I did something wrong. I'm probably not able to do this. Do you have that same experience? Because I know that I do this. So I think what it does is when people have stories about themselves and their ability to be successful, and then they have a failure, they can use it to validate that story. Yes. So if it's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, Z is kind of the, the tape running in the background. And then something goes wrong, that tape clicks in and it starts with, see, we told you so. It's that inner critic voice kind of being validated mm. by failure as opposed to, oh, well, it didn't work out this time, but how can I use this to learn and actually do it the next time? Yeah, sort of related. I remember thinking about bad relationship patterns that I have, unhealthy relationship patterns that I have, and talking with my therapist. And he said, here's the thing, past relationship failures aren't actually failures because you aren't with the person that you're supposed to be long-term yet. And you can't find them unless you're single and available to meet them. Yep. So there you go. How can we start to change some of those patterns? And you go, oh, right. Because if I've met that person and if I wasn't ready because I hadn't done the learning of what I need to be in order to get there, then I'm not ready. And then they can't be the person because I'm not ready. And then she ends the entire chapter with a woman who doesn't give up can never lose. I just like that. Yes. That's the key to success. You keep working it till it works, right? Yep. Work until, you know, work it till it works. And so our call to the wolf pack is very short and to the point. Try, fail, feel it burn, then transform your failure into your fuel. And chapter five is champion each other. Yes. So the old role is that competition mentality I mentioned earlier, be against each other. And the new rule is before each other. Yeah. 
And I will just share with you one of the, the moments in here that was so powerful to me was when she talked about the line, when you score, you better start pointing. And it was the way that when she was successful and people would cheer because she scored, she would point at the person who assisted. She would point at the defender. She would point at the coach. She would point at different people who got her to that point where she could score because she recognized that it wasn't a me thing. It was a we thing. Um, And so just the reminder, that was one of the kind of notes I wrote to myself um, was when we win, we should always be pointing. Because I think as collaborative as we may think we are, I still think many of us default to when we are successful, we want to bask in the glory of that success. And sometimes we may unintentionally not recognize the people who helped us get there. Yeah. And I think that's the smaller pie scenario too, or or Mm -hmm. it's the scarcity feeling. We haven't been raised in a culture where we see other leaders pointing. And so we think maybe if I point, then people will think, oh, she only did it because she has all the support of this team or things. And that this goes back to that. If you've got the power to share that power, to champion the others on the team who helped make it happen. And she says, Championing each other can be difficult for women because for so long we've been pitted against each other for the token seat at the table. So if I'm pointing and raising up this other woman, maybe she's going to take the one seat at the table. But there's not one seat at the table. Mm -hmm. So that's what I like about how she takes the book is because you have to learn these lessons. Like you have to get to the point when you realize every seat at the table is available to us. Yes. And I love, I don't remember the exact quote, but uh, something that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had said, um, I guess somebody had asked the question, well, you know, when, when will enough, you know, when will there be enough female held seats on the court? And I guess she said, you know, the gist of it was, she said, well, when all of them are held by women. And I guess somebody kind of stopped at that. And it's the idea that when it was all men, nobody batted an eye, but the idea of having a Supreme court that was all women it's like people would be up in arms and it's the craziest thing they could ever think of. And it's like, but why do we assume that? Why do we assume that women can't have all the seats? Yeah. There's not just one seat. There's all the seats. And then she actually says, maintaining the illusion of scarcity is how power keeps women competing for the singular seat at the old table instead of uniting and building a new, bigger table. Yes. I love it. I love this one. I love, I love, I love this one. And it's not something that I think that we have seen historically. We haven't seen our leaders point to the people who helped get them there. The pointing has been for blame or criticism. And we don't have to play that game. So call to the wolf pack is her victory is your victory. Celebrate with her. Your victory is her victory. Point to her. Chapter six is demand the ball. Yes. So the old rule is play it safe, pass the ball. And the new rule is believe in yourself, demand the ball. Something that I highlighted here that I thought was really great was where she says the most inspiring, and I kind of pushed two sections together. The most inspiring thing on earth is a woman who believes in herself who gives 100% and who owns her greatness unapologetically. 
And then she goes on to say, when you stand up and demand the ball, you give others permission to do the same. And to me, that's so important because I think sometimes when we look at those people who we perceive as demanding the ball, we think about, you know, them and what it gets them. Um, But also, I think it's important to think about what it helps others to achieve. I think women who model for other women what is possible in life are some of the most powerful, influential women there are simply because they're opening doors for other people. And again, it goes back to it could be any stage of our life, you know, whatever our evolution is that we're going through, it might be, oh, this person is opening doors to show me that I can be 75 years old and forge this new path. Or it can be a 16 year old looking at an adult woman who's a CEO and, you know, is sitting at the head of that boardroom table that nobody thinks their their seats for, you know, for them. So I just, to me, that that was just a really powerful reminder. It's not only important to believe in ourselves for the way that it impacts us and impacts our lives, but also to remember that the ways in which we stand up for ourselves and show up for ourselves in our life also is the way we show up for other people. Yeah. She says before that game where she had seen... And it's she's referencing Michelle Akers, I believe is how you pronounce her last name, and seeing Michelle demand the ball. And not in a polite way. She's like, give me the effing ball. Like she, yes, I love that part. It's <laughs> demand, right? She says, before that game, I had always tried to turn down my talent and dim my light and avoid outshining others. I thought it would be the humble thing to do. I was afraid that my talent would be an affront to others and might drive a wedge between my teammates and me. So on the field, I operated at 75%. And this immediately rereading this book this weekend, I have just gone through this in my workplace where I was doing excellent work and I know it's excellent work and I have received a lot of recognition for some particular excellent work that I've done. And I had somebody who wanted to have a conversation with me because she had certain feelings about the fact that I essentially asked for the ball. And she had feelings about that. And that was how it was phrased. And she wanted for our relationship to express her feelings. And she absolutely has a right to her feelings. But this is not a codependent relationship. And I did what was good for the team, good for the organization. I did an excellent job. And it's different from how things have been done. And she has the right to those feelings. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go out and lower myself and do less in the future. So this is, I think, the hardest part of translating the book to the reality of a system works in a certain way. And when we do things different than how the system works, it can be problematic and challenging. So this chapter, rereading it this weekend, really impacted me. And I thought about, and I thought about that. But I love how she talks about, she said, watching Michelle use her power shamelessly freed her to use hers as well. So the call to the wolf pack is believe in yourselves, stand up and say, Give me the effing ball. Give me the effing job. Give me the same pay that the guy next to me gets. Give me the promotion. Give me the microphone. Give me the oval office. Give me the respect I deserve 
and give it to my wolf pack too. Amen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I can't believe we're almost done the book. It's chapter seven already. Bring it all. Woo-hoo. So the old rule, lead with dominance, create followers. The new rule, lead with humanity, cultivate leaders. Yeah. And she talks about having Pia, and I'm not sure if it's pronounced Sundhage. She was a Swedish coach who came to lead the national team and how she really showed herself by coming in, playing a guitar. And they were all like, what? This is not a thing. But she demonstrated her leadership. She showed her leadership. And instead of being top-down structure of you do this, you do that, she showed her humanity. She showed her passion for music. And in doing so in that environment, it was so vulnerable. The thing that struck me the most was when she said, if Pia had just told us to be brave, humble, and vulnerable, we would never have been able to embody it. As a leader, she had to show us. And so she embodied everything that she wanted the team to be so that they could get to that next level. All the creativity in the gameplay, all of those things means you have to open yourself up to different ways. And the way that she did that was so powerful and it turned every single person on the team into a leader. Even though they already were, sometimes we still need that permission slip from the from the leader to see our leadership ability because not everybody's read Abby Wambach's book, Wolfpack. Well, and to me, one of the most powerful pieces, because I am somebody who sometimes my my titles or my roles don't necessarily align. You know, it's like when I think of a CEO, I think about like woman in an 80s power suit. And then you see me and you're like <laughs> the tattoos and the rainbow hair and, um, you know, the hair that ever changing colors. And and so one of the things that I've had to learn, and, you know, I'm a life coach, but I'm not, I guess when you when you hear life coach, some people are like, you know, kind of do the, the eye roll thing. I had somebody tell me, oh, one of the things I really appreciate about you is that you don't talk about like everything's great all the time. Like you actually acknowledge that sometimes life is terrible and you're, you know, I, I do real talk. So sometimes when I'm in a room, I feel like I'm the one of these things is not like the other person. Mm-hmm. And so what I felt like really spoke to me was where she said, real leaders know who they are and bring every bit of themselves to whomever they lead. Yes. Real leaders don't mimic a cultural construct of what a leader looks sounds and acts like. And I feel like just that permission to really be who we are and recognize that sometimes it's exactly those things Mm -hmm. that are what makes us so powerful when we are in roles where we're fortunate enough to be a leader. Yeah. That section really hit me too. I so, so agree with that. And then I know the other the other section, I know you're going to bring us up with the call to the wolf pack. So I won't highlight the other part I underlined. I'll just say that I feel like once again, she ended the chapter so powerfully. Like the, those were the two pieces that just really hit me like right in the chest. Yeah. The new way is to lead with full humanity and cultivate a team of leaders. Yeah. And then her call to the wolf pack, of course, is claim your power and bring along your full humanity. Clear the way for others to do the same, because what our families, our companies, and the world needs is nothing more and nothing less than exactly who we are. 
And for those who are listening, I'm just going to encourage you to use that little like 15 seconds back button and re-listen to that last sentence, because this is something that I feel like every woman and every person on the planet needs to hear a couple of times. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They don't need you to be another cut of what somebody's idea of leadership was decades ago. They need your inherent genius, which leads us to the final chapter, chapter eight, find your pack. All right. So the old rule was you're on your own. And the new rule is you're not alone. You've got your pack. When I read that, I'm wondering, do you have that same feeling like, oh my gosh, because as women, if you're always feeling like you're going for that one spot at the table, then you feel like uh, I am alone because I have to go it alone because I'm fighting for that one spot. And then you realize, oh, you're actually stronger as the pack. Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't realize that we need other people to lift us up or we don't necessarily see the way that other women supporting us can impact us. And I think about just women in my life who have been instrumental in helping me get where I am, in reminding me, like I have one um, former colleague who's become a dear friend who very frequently, I think of her as the person who reminds me of all that I am and all that I am capable of in my worst moments where I am at my lowest and I'm feeling my most insecure. I believe what she says because she's somebody of great integrity and somebody that I trust her viewpoint. Absolutely. So when she says those things about me, I know they must be true just because of who she is. And just the impact of having that person in my life to remind me of those things has been so, so powerful. Um, And I try to think about, you know, how to provide that to other people, because I think you're right. Again, when we grow up thinking we're all competing for one seat at the table, we don't think about how can other people lift me up and how can I lift other people up? When in fact, if we all spent more time lifting each other up, maybe we'd all just go in together and just take over the damn table. Yeah. (laughs) Or together, we could probably build a new one. It's amazing. And Mm -hmm. she says like a simple statement, life is harder as a lone wolf when you have to do everything yourself. And we all need a pack. Now, there's times when you want to be by yourself, like I just did this solo multi-day hiking. But I also would notice when everybody's leaving, I'm like, oh, God, there's bears around. And I got to hustle because I'm the last person packing up. And I would be the last person because I would be the only one cooking the breakfast. I'd be the only one cleaning up after the breakfast. I'd be the only one taking down the tent and then restuffing the pack. So all of these things I had to do on my own. And I was like... I wanted it to be a solo journey so that I could have this time to myself, but damn it, it's hard. And that's the (laughs) truth. And as a health and wellness coach, one of my pillars is what I call spirituality, but it's community. It's however you feel connected because connection is an integral part of our well-being. It's really important to our mental health and to our physical health to have connection. So now we know we're not in this alone. We're not in competition with everybody else. We know that we're all leaders and that we should be pointing out those who are supporting or rushing towards people who have had success to show our support for them. So she says, you need a pack. She's like, she says, you need a pack. And the question is, how do we build one? And here's what she says. I know from my career that when you're new at anything, when you don't know what to do or how to begin, 
all you can do is show up awkwardly and nervously sometimes and try. Then she says what she's going to do. So I'm going to try. I'm going to gather the women I respect, admire, and trust most. I'm going to support them when they need it and ask them for help when I need it. And together we will change our lives and our world by knowing the power of our wolf and the strength of our pack. And I feel like when I met Becky Upchurch for the first time and got to interview her and I saw the books in the background, we have the same books on our shelf. We had an <laughs> offline chat about things and I and, and we agreed to do this book because I was like, oh my gosh, Becky, I want her to be part of my pack. And that's literally how you make it happen. You just reach out and say, hey, want to do this cool thing with me? I'd love to have you come talk about this book with me. Yes. And I was so excited. And I will tell you, I've had like folks reach out. Um, I was on like a, was it a Zoom call or I was talking to somebody and I guess they had met me through the podcast and, and heard us talking about boundaries. And they're like, oh, I share it with people all the time. And and it's funny because as we've been having this conversation, you know, we're going back and forth and highlighting things that, you know, we underlined or that spoke to us. And it's like every single time you highlight something, it's something that I highlighted or something that I made a mental note of or something that spoke to me. So I love that there's that synergy there. And I think you're right. It's like you just keep showing up and eventually you find the people that you have those connections with and then you just build from there. Yeah. I've I've met friends through Instagram mm-hmm. post resonated with me. I actually had like, I talked for about two hours with a friend that I met years ago. We just had so much in common. And so we just do like live chats every now and then catch up on each other's lives and things like that. I was down in California with another friend that I had met. It's just being willing to sometimes look outside of your community if you don't feel aligned with people or if you've been locked in the house for two years with your kids like I was. (laughs) So the final call to the wolf pack was life is not meant to be lived as a lone wolf. We all need a pack. And I love that. We all do. Yes, absolutely. I so appreciate you, Becky. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this book with me. Yes, this was fun. Yes. Yeah, I feel like it was actually also good because, you know, I wanted to just like refresh my thinking. And so I was actually looking at the book yesterday, um, just kind of thinking about like, it's such a small book. And I feel like there were so many good nuggets. I was like, we're going to end up making like a four hour podcast with this. And (laughs) people are going to be like, I could have read the book in less time. But I knew that we would have so many just golden nuggets to pull out. And so I thank you for the good conversation and also for just reminding me what a powerful book this is and helping me kind of refresh in my mind some of the lessons. Because like you said, when we're in different phases of our life, things, you know, resonate and they hit differently. And so there were a couple of things this go around that I was like, huh, I might have to noodle on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I totally went that. That's exactly how I felt. I was like, there were nuances. I thought, Oh, I didn't notice that last time or I'm in a different place or something happened recently. And so you immediately reflect on, Oh, this is what that discomfort of changing how I show up. When you change how I show up, people react to that. That doesn't mean that what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. Just observe it, observe it as you would observe something as a third party that you weren't involved in and say, Oh, that's interesting. And take away some learnings like, oh, okay, so does this work for me? How does this work? I really appreciated having you back on the podcast. Thank you. I'm going to put your contact information so people can find out 
how to connect with you if they'd like to learn more about what you do as a life coach. And I'll reference the episode number if people want to go back and listen to the one on boundaries because it was phenomenal. It was so good. Yes. And it was so fun to record also, which to me, that's always a big thing is if I'm going to, you know, take time to do stuff, I want to make sure I'm enjoying it. So thank you. This is our second podcast together that I've really enjoyed. Maybe I'll come back a third time. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) We have so many more books. Right? We got a whole shelf full. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. 